Welcome to the Liberal Your Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. You are now very familiar with the start of this podcast. This is a European Liberal Forum project. And one thing that the European Liberal Forum is doing lately is to initiate a series of thematic debates on the future of liberalism. The kickoff workshop was in Barcelona, where senior European intellectuals and analysts discussed challenges as well as possible ways to rethink liberalism with regards to the current trends. More specifically, this session included a critical debate about what liberalism means in Europe today, why it needs to be revised or rethought, and how this could and should be done. By bringing together the voices from across Europe, this project envisions the coining up of up-to-date, future-oriented vision of the 21st century European liberalism that needs to embody in theory and in practice. After this kickoff, there was a second workshop in Thessalonik and a third one in Lisbon, which I was very privileged to be part of, and I will tell you about that when the time comes. And there is also going to be here in the podcast some more guests to talk about the main conclusions of this event. But the main objective of this endeavor is to have a publication on the future of liberalism by the Elf Secretariat. And also when the time comes, I will present that work here. So today we're going to go into a conversation with two of the participants in that first workshop in Barcelona. And those are Mathilde Berger-Perrin. She's an activist in defense of liberal feminism in France. She's also a graduate in political science and philosophy. And she's now an essayist and columnist in the French media specializing in gender issues and free speech advocacy. We also have Dr. Julio Crespo McLennan, and he's the director of the Hispanic Observatory and an adjunct professor of history of international relations at the IE School of Global and Public Affairs in Madrid. We're going to go into the topic of that workshop, if there is a need to rebrand liberalism and how to understand liberalism from a perspective that emanates from the increased participation of minorities in the political process. After conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by ELF for this month of May. I'm here with Mathilde Berger-Perrin and Professor Julio Crespo-McLennan. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast. A pleasure. Uh, great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start by introducing you to the audience. We're going to talk about the work uh, you did in Barcelona, but also your thoughts about uh, the topic of today's conversation. But before that, and Matilda, I'm going to start with you. Tell us a little bit about the path it took for you to be on the podcast today with us. Yes, sure. Uh, actually, I first came across uh, liberalism with the Charlie Hebdo attacks in France in 2015. And uh, I realized that my vision of freedom of speech was clearly more radical than the yes, but vision that I could see in the French political uh, and the French, uh, French media landscape as well. And one year later, I actually ended up in a student conference in Prague dedicated to liberty, when I was was clearly shocked uh, to see that there were only a very, very few women attended. So I started to ask, why doesn't liberty appeal to women? Uh, because actually liberalism is the philosophy and political project that emancipated the most of people on this planet and the most massively and quickly. So why uh, they are not defending it as a feminist point of view? And uh, I started to dig it more and I realized that more generally, 
among young generation and among my generation, uh, I would say there is this common bias to think that individual freedom or economic freedom is necessarily incompatible with the common good. Mm. And uh, this is uh, this is why I'm here today uh, to discuss about that. Very good. Uh, Professor, please take it away. How about you? Well, uh, liberalism has been uh, part of my uh, trajectory as, uh, as uh, ever since I was an undergraduate. I was quite attracted by the concept of, of freedom, which uh, goes uh, far beyond uh, what we understand by freedom, which is uh, to do whatever you feel like at any moment. It's uh, much more complex. I remember at uh, Oxford University, I very much enjoyed the readings of uh, Isaiah Berlin mm -hmm. explaining uh, freedom, uh, how to implement it, how to make uh, a free society. And uh, this really has been with me throughout my uh, academic career as a specialist in, in contemporary Europe. And uh, at this crucial moment, in uh, history and uh, particularly in contemporary Europe, I think this is this is very relevant. Uh, the concept of liberalism is particularly relevant to to understand our contemporary society. Professor, I'm going to ask you to come back to Pascal just to talk about positive and negative freedom by Isaiah Berlin. That will be an interesting conversation. Well, I have you both here today because we in the European Liberal Forum are doing exactly a, a reflection and thinking about the future of liberalism. And actually, both of you were in Barcelona for the New European Liberalism Workshop, which with the title was Rethinking Liberalism for the Future of Europe. And you will be focusing today about the fact that there's, of course, political parties and the political parties, they try to get uh, into government and run uh, a country with, with liberal ideas. But we've been seeing some regression, or at least if not regression, some um, stagnation on the progression of those liberal values and ideas for political solution. So uh, I'll, keep, I'll start with you, Professor. What is your analysis of this kind of observation right now? Do you think is, this is more diluted message in the cacophony of nowadays, or is it just that we are not presenting the best ideas to the electorate? Well, I would say it's a, it's a combination of both. We, we have to see that the crisis of uh, liberalism, if we can call it a, a crisis, against the background of the two most recent global crises that we've lived. Uh, we lived a, a global financial crisis, uh, in the year 2008, that was very severe, and that seriously damaged the concept of, of open society, and we're still trying to recover from that. Uh, and most, uh, more, uh, more recently, we lived uh, uh, under a pandemic that very much uh, affected the, um, the concept of, of, of what is freedom and how far do we go in this so we're still living under this two crises, and this has, has severely damaged uh, the concept of, of, of liberalism. So that's why uh, liberal uh, parties have to um, uh, very much uh, think of the message because people have very much lost hope. And uh, this is where we stand at present. That's a great point. I'll, I'll do a quick follow-up before uh, asking uh, Mathilde for her thoughts. Uh, Professor, do you think also that, and you were just mentioning the economic crisis 
a lot of austerity, a lot of what is called neoliberalism policies, could that also make people feel that disenchantment because of the liberal name associated with that kind of policy? That comes, of course, from the School of Chicago and, and the Austrian School. And, of course, that's, that's, that's the history of the thought. But do you think that still, it's still lingering? Yes, very much, very much so. Bear in mind that uh, last global crisis co uh, constituted a revision of the, the, the triumph of capitalism and globalization that we lived uh, since uh, 1989 uh, suddenly uh, was um, questioned as a result of this. We have um, all the austerity programs, uh, all those who felt uh, left out, Uh, as a result of the global crisis, uh, attributed this to this uh, neoliberalism, mm -hmm. which become, became uh, a word uh, that um, gave um, everything that was associated with, with liberalism a very negative uh, tone. And uh, liberal parties and all those who are uh, considered liberals uh, still have not managed to overcome this. That's a great point. And not to mention historically, and your country and mine, also the word liberalism itself as a political solution had some really bad connotations. Uh, Mathilde, going to you right now, and actually you mentioned that the, one of the motivators for you to come to politics and to the public square of opinion was the lack of female participation. So uh, your thoughts, and if you can focus also a little bit what people are we missing as liberals in the political arena? Yeah, uh, first of all, I think um, I think there is indeed a, a big misunderstanding of what uh, liberalism is. And um, this is a problem because, for example, in France, we do not have uh, any uh, uh, liberal party because it just wouldn't fit uh, in the political chess of France. I mean... Like non-interventionism is not our specialty, you know, so this is complicated. But uh, to me, you were speaking about two crises, but I would say that there is uh, two big challenges. I mean, three big challenges for uh, liberal parties and liberal ideas is that on the political schedule, the things that are like driving the interest of people is immigration, climate change and indeed feminism and we do not have um, mm. satisfying or reassuring answers uh, with uh, liberalism and this is uh, what people want to hear you know this is this um, uh, they are afraid we live in a um, in an area where people uh, have news all the time they are scrolling all the time on their phones so they are like falling under a lot of information. Mm -hmm. So there is a kind of uh, feeling of emergency. And uh, with the feeling of emergency, liberalism promotes a kind of general answer. It's general answer, of course. I, I, generality, this is, uh, trust me, trust us, uh, liberty uh, is, the, is the, what is the best for you. And this is not reassuring at all. So on that perspective, I would say, um, I would say this is uh, one of the biggest challenges for uh, liberalism and liberal parties. 
So um, there is this, but there is also something complicated because our adversaries has uh, have very good intentions. So, for example, the conservative believe that they are safeguarding of morals and the progressive believe that they are working toward the establishment of a fair and inclusive and cultural environment. But the problem of that, it's, it's always at the expense of freedom. And for example, is the... Uh, free, dispos- free disposal, for example, of one body, or all the climate change policies that are against uh, capitalism. So, you know, we have to make a path between both of it and try to save liberty um, on this kind of subject. It's a very good point. Uh, Professor, before I ask you if you want to do a follow-up on this, uh, Mathilde, let me just do a little, um, a little drilling on what you said. The phone, the comfort, uh, a little bit of, you know, people taking things for granted. I remember being in an Alda Party uh, Congress where the slogan was fight like a liberal. Is is that what also it's missing also for women, for minority to fight a little more? Yeah, actually, there is this uh, this thing, uh, especially for feminism, which is we are waiting for the society to, you know, Uh, make us a seat or make us some place mm. but uh, this is not how it works and for example in France but I know it's in other country as well there is this idea of changing the the language and I'm like are we really waiting that the language invented a word for women to be engineer to be engineer I'm not sure so this is uh, maybe being more offensive because liberty is not something that you are supposed to wait for or that you are supposed to be given this is something you have to take and you are supposed to have as soon as you are born actually so um, I don't know I don't really like this kind of passivity uh, of uh, feminism right now mm-hmm. and uh, I, as I always say uh, feminism has been done by individual uh, dare and um, I mean dared action and um, one of the best is for example Rosa Parks Uh, she just sits in this bus and she mm-hmm. wrote a giant step for the humanity just doing that. So she didn't wait for public policies to open her uh, the possibility to sit in a bus. So um, this is uh, how I see things. And this is why it's important to defend liberalism when you are uh, women, uh, when you are feminist, because this is the only kind of society where you are not waiting for your liberty to be uh, given to you. The reason why I was asking that is because the anti-liberal movements, those are very active. They do, they do not, uh, are, they're not complacent. Professor, do you want to do a follow-up on that? Yes. Um, well, I've, 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 uh, it's been very interesting to hear uh, Mathilde describe the, the evils of, uh, or the problems of, of French society, which are very much, uh, I would say, the problems of, of most of uh, European Uh, society, at least the countries I I, uh, I know, and uh, certainly the, the issue of um, of uh, uh, feminism that you've uh, addressed. On the one hand, we have to realize what has been achieved, uh, which is uh, very substantial in uh, not uh, such a long time, and also um, why why. Uh, Why have we achieved all this? And of course, um, this is related to the issue of what you've mentioned of fight like a liberal. Well, uh, there was a lot of fight for uh, for women's rights, and uh, 
I was I was recently lecturing on uh, on the uh, on women's suffrage, and it's extraordinary what women were doing in the late 19th century. Uh, the uh, suffrage women uh, movement, uh, Emmeline Pankhurst, uh, Britain, who decided to defend women's rights, were, were very brave uh, women who decided to uh, fight for what for the rights. Uh, in a very direct way. In fact, this is the only, it's the um, only uh, case in, um, in the history of Britain where violence has had a result. Although, of course, it's a very symbolic violence because they were not just, uh, they were not terrorists or anything like that. They were just heckling politicians in a very, very good way, uh, very efficient way, which is something that we very often feel like doing heckling politicians mm. just to make sure that things uh, things happen uh, and not just leave them there in their comfort zones where they uh, legislate most of the time. So this is uh, a major achievement and this is what has to be uh, highlighted that it is within. Uh, why did it happen in uh, societies liberal, the ethos of liberal already existed and not in societies where you didn't have this. This is a question that we have to ask ourselves. And uh, this goes back to another concept of, of liberalism that uh, I like and that was discussed in the, the 19th century by Jeremy and Bentham, the idea that uh, the ideal society is that that gives the greatest happiness mm -hmm. to the greatest number. Uh, which is a very noble uh, aspiration. Uh, and that takes us back to the uh, present day. Uh, we like this concept. Uh, but then, of course, we um, all live in a, in a moment of great uh, comfort in yeah. Europe. It's extraordinary what we've achieved. Uh, we see all these uh, people demanding uh, rights and uh, um, better life already with... Um, extraordinary uh, level of comfort from their uh, mobile phones to um, all these advantages that we enjoy now. But of course, how have we achieved this level of uh, welfare is what we have to ask. Um, globalization is uh, one of the key words that again has become uh, very one of the one of the, the words that anti-liberals like very much. This idea of globalization is considered that um, has brought us to the global financial crisis. This is also associated with this neoliberalism of uh, fat, uh, greedy capitalists unethically playing around with numbers. And uh, of course, uh, what liberals have to uh, do is um, put these things in the right context. Uh, what is uh, globalization? Uh, well, globalization has brought great benefits, but of course it also has created uh, very serious challenges. So we have to uh, readdress this. Uh, perhaps we have mm -hmm. to think of a new concept of globalization more based on reciprocal interests and, um, and the interest of the local, uh, of the communities. Uh, this is very important. So this is one thing that has to be readdressed in in the right way, and um, in relation to. Um, but at the same time, of course, we have to um, admit that most of the um, that the welfare that we enjoy is very much due to this globalization and open society that has been created thanks to the ethos of liberalism. Let's go to Mathilde now. 
I was in a panel on uh, Freedom Games, which is this liberal uh, get-together in, in Poland, in Łódź. The question on the panel was actually very pertinent. That was how to rebrand liberalism. Let's start with the first part is, Mathilde, do you think you, we need to rebrand liberalism? Particularly when thinking about, for example, feminism or, or LGBTQ community or minority community, do we need to rebrand liberalism? Or going a little bit with Professor Huli was saying, like, for example, should we rebrand internationalism? I think that the best way to advertise uh, liberalism on the marketers' ideas is to emphasize what individual freedom means to us. Because for a long time, I think liberals uh, presented liberalism through uh, less states and uh, more freedom, economic freedom, which is, I mean, the the core values of, uh, of liberalism. So it's normal, but it doesn't appeal to people and especially to young people because they just do not care or are not really in touch with what liberalism is and the tradition of liberalism. So to me, there are myths to construct and myths to deconstruct. And maybe the deconstruction is like very important because this is how we we, we shape minds and we, we change uh, the the way people see, see things. And for the myths to deconstruct, I see three of them. The first, uh, to me, and the more important is there is society is not a zero-sum game. This is super important because poor people are not poor because rich people are rich. This is Antonella Marti who said that, but I could apply it to feminism as well. Women are not women because men are men. It's the same, you know. So for me, it's one of the most important thing. And this is, uh, we have great tradition about that, which is utilitarianism. And again, Rosa Parks, if she didn't have sit in this bus uh, today, maybe um, racism would still be there or not uh, or in a higher way that it is today. So the interest of one person was actually like benefits uh, a lot of people and uh, like a massive uh, amount of people. Then there is also another myth to, de to deconstruct, which is capitalism. Uh, there is a big misunderstanding of what it is, and it is sometimes, you know, um, confused with crony capitalism, which is a, a capitalism I don't like. This is this idea that benefits only the powerful or the people that are already rich. And uh, this is the monopoly of enrichment by people that ha have uh, an advantage. And uh, today, this is, for example, uh, what we have in France. We have a capitalism that benefits people that used to have uh, a fortune before or that are linked to governments. So this mm -hmm. is a capitalism that is shaped uh, and with interventionism that doesn't uh, serve anyone, which is, uh, I don't know, but interventionism that constraining entrepreneurship or personal investment. So it's basically does not enable anyone to get more richer or more prosperous. So this kind of liberalism, I don't like it. And Magat Wade, which is a Senegalese American entrepreneur, one day told me, this, you know what, this is why you don't have a Facebook or a Google that flourish in France. It's because you have to rely on people that already have money. And this is unfair. And then the third myth that you really, we really need to uh, deconstruct is 
individualism is not immoral. And this is really hard because people think it's uh, egoism and it's not the same because individualism is at the basis of the anti-slavery and feminist movement, for example, uh, especially in the US. And this is this idea that no one but yourself can decide what you do with your life. This is not egoism. This is something we wish uh, for everybody. And um, if you follow the work of Deidre McCloskey, for example, she uh, said that uh, individualism is just at the basis of on the ground of the great enrichment. And uh, the activist Antonella Morty reminds us that 200 years ago, 95% of the people of the planet lived in extreme poverty. And now that number goes to 9% just in 200 years. And thanks to liberalism and individualism. So maybe individualism, the, this idea that every life matters and that you can conduct it the way you want, uh, it's maybe the best invention men created, actually, because pursuing your own interest, chasing liberty, is precisely the biggest threat to the biggest threat ever to any kind of authoritarian um, hierarchy. So um, this is the the myth uh, to deconstruct a bit more quick, but there is two myths to, to construct, two narratives that are very important to me. It's the entrepreneur. There is no hero in the French literature and the literature in general that is uh, an entrepreneur. In France, for example, when it is in our culture, in the literature, it's always the greedy character or the character full of vanity. And uh, in the US, there is Ayn Rand that um, uh, made uh, the entrepreneur and the creator a hero. But this is... This is like an exception because there are not so many books uh, that like praises the the hero, but the creator and the um, the entrepreneur. And the second one, which is interesting because it could help us cross other political mindset, is the whistleblower, because there are a lot of whistleblowers such as uh, Edward Snowden or Greta Thunberg. Uh, even if she's not a real uh, uh, liberal, she is like in the figure because there are people who think differently, who do not trust government and who um, are the wisdom of the masses and use freedom of speech as much as they can. And sometimes when it's uh, actually a real threat for their lives. So for me, this is a narrative that could be like kind of figure of what liberalism could be. Very good points. Uh, we're just scratching the surface and time is flying when we're having fun. But I still have time to go to Professor Julio and ask you this question. And that is, picking back on Matilda was saying, do you need to rebrand liberalism then? Yes. The, the uh, quick uh, answer would be yes. I think we do need to uh, rebrand it. Uh, and at the same time, we need to uh, explain it better. So it's, it's mm. both. Uh, one thing goes with the other. Uh, Matilda has, explain, has, has uh, explained very well the, the concept of uh, individualism and why it's, it's uh, absence in, in uh, well, in, in, uh, why it's become an unpopular concept in, in France and I would say in many countries in, uh, in Europe. And of course, we have to be aware of what is the opposite of, of individualism. The, the opposite of individualism is collectivism, 
And we've seen the result of uh, regimes that emphasize uh, collectivism. The result is uh, poverty, widespread poverty, and tremendous oppression, because uh, if you have people uh, taking decisions for, for individual people, uh, then people uh, feel totally oppressed. So this is very important. Uh, remind what individualism is and how important it is in society. And this is what liberals have been doing uh, ever since uh, the liberal uh, movement uh, began. Uh, second thing that you've mentioned is very important, free enterprise, um, which is linked to creativity. And of course, this is very much uh, linked to the idea of creating wealth in society. This is something that is uh, virtually uh, absent in uh, many uh, many European countries at present, particularly those uh, governed by, by, by socialist uh, governments. Um, we talk about distribution of wealth. We talk about equality, but we forget about how do you create wealth. Uh, and of course, if you forget about how you create wealth uh, and how you stimulate uh, creativity, um, then um, you uh, reach a very dangerous level of comfort, uh, taking for granted the comforts that you have, and this might collapse at any moment. And this is where the liberals have a very important role. Um, because, uh, and this takes us to uh, another crucial issue um, of, the, uh, of, of Europe at present, which is the, the welfare state. Can we really afford the welfare state? Uh, now, anyone um, asking this question um, can easily get into trouble, but we have to ask this question very clearly. Um, can we afford um, the welfare state? Because... We saw in the year uh, 2007 um, a global uh, financial crisis in which banking institutions uh, collapsed, and this was very serious, and we had the state bailing them out. But um, we might find uh, this, uh, the price we paid for this is that uh, we got into massive indebtedness. We live in a society which is massively in debt. States are very seriously in debt. And what can happen in a few years' time? Perhaps the next crisis will be uh, a crisis in which the state itself uh, collapses. And this be, uh, then we will be in serious trouble. So this is why liberals, liberals are the one I have to remind of this. So individualism and creativity mm -hmm. and free enterprise, these are the key words. Yes, And, of course, another reason why we have to rebrand uh, liberalism is because it's interesting that um, the liberal uh, program, um, the reason why uh, liberals, uh, liberal parties are so, so um, vulnerable is because the program is very much easily stole by many parties in this center-right, center-left. Elections are usually won more or less at the center. And, um, well, uh, we see in most uh, big parties in Europe, there are important elements of liberalism that explain their success. Mm. So um, this is why liberalism has such a hard time at present, because their uh, substantial part of their program is being stolen by other parties. So uh, that's why liberalism has to be rebranded and uh, liberals have to remind what is there and what they really represent. 
Fantastic points. I'm going to use my uh, podcast host privilege and just going to add something, which is my opinion. And I totally agree with you, Professor. We need to explain it better also for another reason, and that is so that the electorate knows what they're in for and they don't get defrauded if you have certain kind of liberalism, more of a classical bend, more of a social liberalism, more progressive. And then if you just say that you're a liberal, so I don't defend the need itself per se to rebrand liberalism, but as you say, to explain a little more what kind of liberalism are you offering to the voter. Uh, We're running out of time, which is unfortunate because I do have a question and that is has also related to political parties and that is when a, a liberal political party makes a coalition or intends to or presents the idea that they're able or they're willing to make a coalition with an extreme right or an extreme left party. And in Spain, we saw that. And Portugal, we may see it also. We're seeing in Sweden. So that is something that I would love. Please uh, come back to the podcast so that we can continue this conversation. But in this last minutes, Mathilde, tell us, please, where people can follow your work online. They can follow me on Twitter for now. And uh, next uh, year, uh, I will have two books released. Uh, It will be in French, but it's going to be translated. So they have to wait for next year. Oh, I want you back on the podcast to to tell us all about it. And Professor? Yes, well, uh, I'm uh, currently working on... um, what I I actually presented in in Barcelona, the, the, the 12 rules to make uh, liberalism prevail in the 21st century. This actually will be uh, published uh, by the uh, Liberal Forum um, very soon. And I hope to have this in book form um, in the near future, end of next year, hopefully. So this is, this is, these are some of my main things uh, that I'm, some of my main uh, projects that I'm working on present. Although, of course, I also, I'm also active on, I'm also very active on Twitter. Very good. Uh, again, this is just the beginning of a larger conversation also to discuss those uh, works that you are leading right now. I've been talking with Mathilde Berger-Perrin and Professor Julio Crespo-McLennan. This was a privilege. Thank you so much for your time. A great pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much. I'm back. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by Health for this month of May, on the 16th of May, from 9.30 to 1 p.m. at the HF Phoenix Hotel in Lisbon, we have the Citizens and Energy Transition Workshop, the role of renewable energy communities. This workshop aims to investigate renewable energy communities and the national legislations designed for their promotion. This is an organization from the Fondazione Luigi Naudi and Movimento Liberal Social. So again, you guessed it already, I'll be there also. And one of the key pillars of the energy policy of the European Commission is to put citizens at the center of energy transition. Citizens should become an active part of the carbonization process. This work will then lead to a publication that we will also promote here in the podcast. On the same day, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central European time again, at the Sofia Tech Park, we have the event EU Meets the Balkans Forum, 50 Years of EU Enlargement. 
50 years after the first enlargement of the European Union and 10 years since the last one, the EU integration of the Western Balkans is back on the agenda, revitalized by Russia's aggressive war in Ukraine. The radically changed geopolitical context should trigger and intensify the enlargement debate in EU, advance solutions to the long-standing stumbling blocks and unresolved tensions, thus securing unity and a strong political ambition for the challenges ahead. The European Liberal Forum, supported by the Alda Party and the Atlantic Club of Bulgaria, bringing together EU leaders, foreign ministers, policymakers, NGO representatives, and also the youth that will discuss the next steps towards enhanced regional cooperation and EU integration of the region. To know more about this event, you just have to go to liberalforum.eu forward slash events. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then... Let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>